Again, Luke 6, 43-45. Let me read that again for us. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are gathered here this evening to hear your voice, not mine. We pray, Lord, that you would speak. We pray, Father, that you would take the words of my mouth and by the power of your spirit, Lord, you would uniquely and accurately apply them to the hearts of your people. Lord, we pray that through these means that you have ordained, you, Lord, would comfort us, you would convict us, you would encourage us, but most of all, Lord, you would lift us up to your throne room that there we may behold your glory in Christ Jesus. Father, it is Christ we come to honor and glory in this evening. Make him visible unto us by the power of your spirit through your word. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this passage brings together two important biblical concepts and their relationship to one another, that of the heart and what proceeds out from the heart, which we would call works, or in the language of Scripture, fruit. Now, the heart is understood, some of you may know this, right? The heart is understood not as the organ which pumps blood to the rest of our body in Scripture, but building on the understanding of the the Hebrew version of the heart into the New Testament, the heart really is the the center of all spiritual life. It is, uh, as some have defined it, the center and seat of all spiritual life, the fountain and throne of the thoughts, passions, desires, appetites, affections, and purposes. When we see oftentimes the heart in uh, the Old Testament particularly, the Hebrew word that's actually being used there is... uh, is literally translated kidneys. Now, that may seem odd to us at first, of course, but the, 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 the thought is, is that it's, it's at, your kidneys are, are at the very uh, innermost part of your body, essentially. And so that definition is meant to say that it's pointing towards the very core of who we are. So when the Bible uses the word heart, what it means is the very center and core of who we are. Now, the other concept that that we're presented with here in this text tonight is that of works, which are described as fruit. And fruit is what we would call the external or visible manifestation of those thoughts, those passions, those desires, appetites, and affections which reside in the heart. So the point made here in this passage is directly that out of the heart come these works. Out of the heart come these particular fruits. Now, it's quite interesting to me that what is particularly emphasized here in terms of our works or our fruit is our speech. You notice that the last verse of this passage says this, that out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So it's interesting that the work that is being focused on, the fruit that is being examined in this passage, particularly is our speech, what we say, our words. And that's going to come into uh, much of our Uh, unpacking of this passage tonight. But this makes sense in light of the context in which this uh, passage and this teaching is given. In fact, if we go and look at Matthew's account, which is given in uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 15 through 20, Jesus is warning against false teachers. 
He is warning against the fruits of false teachers. And so it would make sense then that Jesus is giving us some guidelines for how we are to identify those who are false prophets, those who are speaking falsely, and those who are speaking truly. So the emphasis here on on speech is particularly important. In Matthew chapter 12, in fact, Jesus will uh, apply this directly to the Pharisees and, of course, call them out for their false teaching. But there's a principle of identification here, right? That these works, they tell us something. They tell us something particularly about that inner core of the person who is speaking. The, the works or the fruits distinguish or identify the inward reality or nature of the heart. That is that our works, what we do, what we say, it demonstrates the content of what's in our heart. And this, of course, is made clear by verse 44, where Jesus says here that each tree is known by its fruit. That is that each tree is identified by its fruit. So this means that our, our, our works, including what we say, are, are saying something, right? There is, a, there is a message that is attached to our works, and they are pointing back to the state and nature of our hearts. And so again, remember that the context here being that of identifying particularly those who are falsely uh, or, or those who are false prophets speaking what is false and those particularly who are speaking what is true. Another application, of course, here is that Jesus is teaching whom? Well, he's teaching his disciples. And so he's not only telling them and giving them some guidelines as to how to watch out for false teachers and how to distinguish between those who are speaking falsely and those who are speaking truly, but he's also positively telling them what they should look like, what, what, what they should live like, how their lives uh, should appear to others in light of the fact that they're Christ followers. Okay? Now, the passage here gives us two types uh, or two uh, distinguishing marks of the fruit or works. Right, The language that Luke uses here is that there is both good fruit and there is bad fruit. Now, the language of Matthew adds another layer here because Matthew uses the words healthy and diseased. It's quite interesting. So you have good and bad. And then in Matthew's account, you have healthy or diseased. That word diseased can also mean rotten. So again, remember that these, uh, that what, these works, whether they're good or bad, whether they're healthy or diseased, they tell us something about the condition of the heart. And if the heart is, or if the works rather, are diseased or rotten, then that tells us something about the heart, doesn't it? It tells us that the heart itself is diseased or rotten. Now, this should immediately make us ask the question, well, what must one do then to, have a, to be a good or healthy tree which produces good and godly and healthy fruit? How does one have a good and healthy heart which then produces godly works? As I was uh, working on this sermon, you'll notice that the title here is A Visit to the Heavenly Cardiologist. Okay, we're about to have some heart surgery uh, done here, some diagnoses um, uh, uh, in terms of the condition of our heart. But I was also, as I was preparing this sermon, uh, for whatever reason, a Bon Jovi song was stuck in my head. Shot through the heart. I changed the lyrics a little bit, though. Shot through the heart and were to blame. Brothers and sisters, we give love a bad name. Now, can God's can the Holy Spirit speak through Bon Jovi? Well, you tell me. But uh, the reality is, is that we have to start with this fact. Okay, 
the, the, the reality of producing good fruit is not a reality that can occur unless there has been an incredible inward transformation and change. Namely, if we're speaking in the language of, uh, of cardiology or of the status of our heart, the reality is, is that uh, we need a heart transplant. We need a heart transplant. Okay, this is the fundamental diagnosis. This is where we need to begin. Scripture teaches, as we've read this evening in Jeremiah 17, that our heart is naturally diseased. So the place that we begin is not actually in, in asking the question, well, am I producing good fruit? Because we have to actually go back farther than that. and We have to ask the question, is our heart actually healthy? Or is the heart, is the inward core of our being uh, diseased? Because if the inward core is diseased, then what will flow out of that is, of course, uh, bad works, bad fruit, rotten fruit as well. So this is where we must begin. And Jeremiah tells us very plainly that the heart is deceitful above all things. It is desperately sick. And of course, some translations render that, that it is desperately wicked. And I think as well that the, the sense here, too, is that our hearts are desperately pursuing wickedness. Our hearts are desperately uh, moving us towards wickedness as well. This is our, our natural inclination. We are plagued with a deathly heart disease. Okay, So if we're sitting down with a heavenly cardiologist, his, his words to us is, are, are, are these. You really shouldn't be here. You're not alive. You're dead. You're, 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 you're uh, uh, essentially a zombie that's walked in here. Right? That the condition of our heart is that our hearts are dead. Spiritually speaking, of course. But the only thing that they can produce in that state is more death. Uh, that, is, that is where we must begin. Uh, from the fall onward, from Adam and Eve's fall and sin onward, our hearts are uh, imprisoned. They are fast bound in sin and nature's night, so says Charles Wesley. We are, in the words of Augustine, non posse, non pecare. Any Latin scholars in here want to tell me what that means? Not able not to sin. From the fall onward, we can do no other apart from the divine work of God. We can do nothing else but sin. So says Augustine, the Apostle Paul says we're dead in our trespasses and sins. Resolutely, we're dead in our trespasses and sins. We are the lifeless, bleached bones drying out in the valley. So says Ezekiel. We are in a state of perpetual cardiac arrest. We're unable to produce good. We're unable to bring forth godly fruit. The reality is, is that this is where we all begin in life. Because every human being from Adam, descended from Adam and Eve by ordinary generation, begins in this state. It is a state in which we are uh, disconnected from the vine. And apart from Christ, who is the vine, we can do what? Nothing. Nothing. We may do good things. We may do good things in the eyes of the world. We, we may even give the appearance of godliness like the fig tree of Mark 11. Do you remember the fig tree that, that, that presents its leaves as though it has fruit, but then is cursed by Christ, of course, because what is it? Uh, it's an object lesson of hypocrisy that the tree was giving the appearance of fruit and yet had no fruit. So too can we give the appearance of godliness and yet uh, be uh, utterly devoid of its power and its transforming work and thus unable to produce any good. No, in this state, we can do no good, nor can we produce any good works. So again, what, 
we need, says the heavenly cardiologist, is a new heart. We need a heart transplant, a renewed, a, a recreated heart. The rotten tree must be cut down. It must be uprooted and a new one planted in its stead, or otherwise the branch broken off and grafted onto a tree that is living. You know, it's, I think sometimes we mistake, make the mistake of looking for, for fruit before that heart transformation in others, particularly. And this is especially true in teaching, in teaching students. I'm sure many of you can relate with this, but it's also true in raising children. I think it's true probably in pastoring and shepherding as well, that many times we are inclined to teach towards godliness before we have addressed the issue of the heart. We're inclined to teach toward holiness and even to desire holiness before we've actually dealt with the reality that a heart that has not been transformed can do nothing that is holy. And I'm, I'm guilty of this with regard to my students. I'm off, often after right behavior when what I must be after and should be after is heart transformation. That's where it has to begin. It must begin with the heart. Well, this is the distinguishing mark of a Christ follower. It's a, it's a transformed heart. It is a renewed heart. So our, if our fundamental diagnosis is we need a new heart, then the antidote, antidote or solution is a new heart, which is a work that the Lord himself accomplishes. And uh, we return again here to the language and imagery of Ezekiel in which God promises in chapter 36 saying, you'll know these words well, And I will give you a new heart. What great words. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. When I was uh, took a moment to teach this to my students, I, I had them note and underline. Same thing in Jeremiah as well. But I had them note and underline the I will statements. Why? Because it is so encouraging and it is so assuring to hear God himself declare, this is what I will do. It is God who takes the divine initiative to do this work of giving us a new heart. And of course, it is only God himself who could do this, who could accomplish this, because this is, brothers and sisters, quite literally an act of recreation. This is an act of recreation in which we who were dead, we who are those bones lying in the valley, are enfleshed and given a new heart. And not only that, but God's spirit is placed within us, which verse 27, which follows that, tells us that this new heart and God's spirit being poured into that heart is so that God might cause us to walk in his ways. So what do we take away from that? The work of regeneration is all of God. So not only then uh, do we receive this diagnosis of we need a new heart, but then the cardiologist himself says, and guess what? I've got one for you. The heart transplant he provides. You know, it's interesting in this combination of tree and fruit and heart language. I was having a conversation with Caleb Brown this afternoon, and he told me something that I didn't know. And he said, you know, the center of a tree is called heartwood. I did not know that. Most of you are smarter than I am. <laughs> I did not know that. But the core of a tree is called uh, the heartwood. And, and so if the heartwood is rotten or if it's diseased, then that will work out through the tree and eventually the rest of the tree will rot. Well, what God has done here is, is in, in my mind, the way I'm picturing it is you have a dead and rotten and lifeless tree that, that ought, is, is no good for anything but being burned up. right? But what God does is he places new heartwood within that tree. 
And then out from that heartwood, there grows life and fruit. This is the reality of what God has done for us in giving us a new heart. And in looking at the relationship between the heart and works and fruit, we must begin here. Let me say it again. Any good that's produced by us, through us, is, has, has, I would say, little to do with us and everything to do with God's work and his spirit within us. Therefore, as Paul says, we cannot boast but in Jesus Christ, right? Because we're his workmanship. We're the work of his hands. And so any good that we produce is of God himself, through the new heart which he has given us. But there's a secondary diagnosis here that I think is very applicable to us who are sitting here this evening at this evening service. And this is the reality that though we've been given a new heart, though we've been regenerated, I know every single one of you in here, I know you and trust you to be believers in Christ Jesus. Though we've been given a new heart, the reality is uh, we still have remaining corruption in our bodies, or what Scripture calls our flesh. Though we've been given a new heart, there yet remains the corruption of sin in our body, in our members, that essentially seeks to draw the heart back. It it attempts to draw the heart back into uh, the disease that it was first uh, found in. And so this means that Right, Sin continues to have an effect on us. It continues to plague us. So, so much so that we, we must find a way to do battle with that sin. And that means that we need to have a means for doing battle with that sin. And there's an interesting phrase that uh, Luke uses here that I want to draw your attention to in terms of uh, being supplied with what we need to actually fight this corruption of sin that remains in the flesh. And the word here is found in, uh, in verse 45. He says, out of the good treasure of his heart, one produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. Now, that word treasure can also be translated storehouse or treasury. And, and, and the reason why I find that word fascinating is, you know, what, what do you do with a storehouse? Well, you pack it full of things, right? Well, in one sense, I think what this passage is commending us to do is to fill those storehouses with the things of God. So that in dealing with the corruption of sin that yet remains, in encountering the difficulties which we are sure to encounter in this life, that what comes out of our hearts in those moments is being drawn up out of those storehouses and those treasuries. I'm going to return to this point uh, in a moment here at the end and and talk about some of the ways that we're able to fill that storehouse. But but I, I find that to be an important point because it tells us here that out of the abundance of the heart come these works, again, particularly speech, but out of the storehouse of our heart Come these works, which means if we've not stored up godly things, if we've not stored up godliness in our heart, we cannot expect godliness to come out of our heart. And so in fighting particularly the corruption of sin, we must be sure that we have that we're well supplied uh, to do that battle. Now, as I said before, uh, uh, a distinguishing mark of the, of the Christian is particularly a changed and distinct 
life and way of living. And this makes itself known, this distinction makes itself known in what the Bible calls spiritual fruits. And of course, you'll remember the great passage uh, in Galatians 5 where Paul talks about this, right? What are spiritual fruits? The fruits of the Spirit. If I asked you to name them now, would you be able to do it? Good, yes. Exactly. Uh, you didn't know you were going to get a quiz tonight. But those are, the, those are the spiritual fruits that are given, right? Broadly speaking, we could say that, that what we're to do and what, what spiritual fruit is is glorifying God. But specifically, or more narrowly, we're given those specific fruits of the Spirit that are to be distinguishing marks of the Christian, right? Because a changed heart necessitates a changed way of life. So much so that this passage tells us quite plainly, again, that you can identify a tree by its fruit. So we can, we can, we must be, we should be identified by our spiritual fruit. If we're Christ followers, there ought to be evidences of this fact. Each tree is known or identified by its fruit. Now, let me say something here very briefly as an aside with regard to uh, discernment, okay? Let's make this point here, the necessity and danger of discernment. And I say necessity and danger for a reason, okay? Because it's not always easy to tell in looking at someone else's life, in looking at another person. It's not always easy to tell by their works whether or not they are a true believer. I think sometimes we are too quick to jump the gun. In other words, we are too quick on both sides to either trust that the person is actually a believer. And then on the other hand, to become cynical and believe that they're not when we see failure or when we don't see that fruit. The reality of fruit is that it takes time to grow. And so there is a right kind of discernment that comes when thinking about spiritual fruit and spiritual disciplines. But I want to commend us to do this. I want us to err on the side of hope. Okay, Let me give you here a a real-life example in terms of what's going on in our nation at this moment. Most of you, I think, are probably aware of what's happening at Asbury, uh, being called an incredible revival and work of God there. If you don't know, there's been worship services going on for, I think, nine days consecutively now. And I've read many of the testimonies there. You don't need my words or you don't need my perspective on it. I just want to say this, that I have read some responses on both sides. And I will say quite honestly that the response from many people in the reform tradition particularly has been one of a kind of cynicism and skepticism. And I just want to say that, yes, we ought to be discerning. And yes, we ought to say, well, let's wait and see what fruit comes of this before we really call it a work and an act of God. But I also want to warn us to say that we cannot use discernment as a mask for our cynicism. We cannot use discernment as a mask for our cynicism. And the way I think about it is is this. When somebody first comes to faith in Christ, what's our response to them? Or what should be our response to them? When somebody first professes a belief in Christ and desires to begin living the Christian life, what is our response? Is our response to them going to be, well, let's see if you make it. (laughs) Let's see how long you hold out, right? Is the first time our children tell us that they love Jesus with all their heart, is our first response to that, 
Yeah, we'll see, kid. No, the first time Elias says, I love Jesus, I'm going to be jumping up and down and rejoicing. Tears will probably be coming out of my eyes. My first response is not going to be one of cynicism where I think, yeah, well, let's just wait and see. You know, I don't want to be too sure. Let's just wait and see. No, we err on the side of hope. We err on the side of saying, yes, please, Lord Jesus, let this be true. And so I think with regard to, to spiritual fruit, particularly in the lives of others or even events like Asbury, we should err on the side of hope. We should let the work of God give us great joy and not let our cynicism. And listen, I'll be the first to tell you that I've had difficulty with regard to interacting with those of a more charismatic bent. Okay, I've had some poor experiences where somebody's told me they've had a word from God and it was just a bad horoscope. Okay, I'm the first to tell you that some of those experiences have negatively shaped me, but I need to actively work and and we in our tradition need to actively work to not disparage the work of the spirit. So let's err on the side of hope with regard to spiritual fruit. I'm going to pray that Elias grows up to demonstrate spiritual fruit. And when he, for the first time, says that he loves the Lord Jesus with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, (laughs) he's coming up for a confession right now. When he says that, I'm going to err on the side of hope, and I'm going to pray for confirmation to that end. So when we see others who are in that same position, and we see the beginning of spiritual fruit, we see the leaves perhaps begin to blossom, then before they wilt, if indeed they're going to wilt, Let's err on the side of hope and joy. And that's enough about that. Now, back to this point of of, uh, the the treasure and and out from this uh, comes these good works. The the word for treasure here is another fascinating word choice. It's the Greek word thesaurus. What does that sound like? Thesaurus. What is a thesaurus? It's a compendium, right? It's a, it's a collection. It's a treasury of words. Again, interesting there in terms of the connection to speech in this passage, right? But our hearts are, by, by definition of this word, right, a, a, a thesaurus of either good or evil. Now, what's interesting is that, uh, and I don't say this proudly, of course, but in my BC days, we call them, in my before Christ days, okay, there were... Uh, uh, quite a few interactions with people who, who probably had too much to drink. The reality is, is that alcohol uh, unlocks someone's thesaurus. What, what I mean by this is that, that uh, alcohol loosens the gates of the lips and mouth and people begin to speak and the heart flows out uninhibited. Uh, it's interesting to me that in Ephesians 5.18, which I'll read here shortly, Paul says... Uh, in, in contrast to that, to being filled with alcohol and, 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 then, and then the result of, of that kind of speech, you know what he says in Ephesians 5 is, don't get drunk with wine, but instead be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit so that what comes out from the heart is, guess what? Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So it's quite interesting here that that Paul says that instead of being filled in the way that the world is filled, we're to be filled with the words of God. We're to be filled with the language of God, particularly in song. Again, more on that point in a minute. But not only is our heart a thesaurus, right, where words are stored that will then come out 
right? But uh, as I said, this word can also be translated storehouse. And so I have, a, I have a question for you as we approach the end of this sermon. And that question is, is what are you filling the storehouse of your heart with? There's, there's a reason why, particularly here in Luke, this passage follows the one in which we're commended to take the log out of our own eye before we try to take the speck out of our brother's or sister's eye. Why? Because what Luke is, is emphasizing through the teachings of Jesus is a kind of self-reflection in, in which we're being called and commended here to examine our own hearts. And so the question that you ought to ask, and the question that we ought to ask as we approach this passage is, what are we filling the storehouse of our heart with? If what we desire, again, if what we desire to come out of our hearts is godliness, are we filling our hearts with godly things? We, we cannot expect uh, to bring good things or godly fruit out of the storehouse of our heart if that storehouse, as I said earlier, has not been filled with godly things. And so the question is, is how do we do that? Right? How do we fill our hearts with godly things? This is, I think, I told Sarah this afternoon, for me, it was a very helpful way or a practical way to think about what we mean when we say means of grace. Perhaps some of you have had some questions. But what does it mean when we speak about means of grace, the preaching of the word, the Lord's Supper, fellowship? What, what does it mean? Well, I think a practical, very practical way to think about it is this, that the means of grace is how we actually fill the storehouses of our hearts. That is, it's, it's like taking godliness packaged up and setting it in the storehouse of your heart so that the next time you run into a difficult relationship with a coworker or a boss, whatever, what comes out of your mouth is not what your sinful flesh would like you to say, but rather what God would have you say. Well, here are some ways, particularly, again, these means of grace that we can fill the storehouses of our hearts. I think it's appropriate for us to begin with what we're doing here tonight, Right? Teaching and admonishing one another through the singing of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Right? It is, uh, as I said, no coincidence, I think, that Paul says, rather than being filled as the world is with wine, which he calls debauchery, we are to be filled with the Spirit. We're to be filled to the top with the Spirit so that what comes out of us is the language of godly psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. This is, a, is, a, is an alleged story, but I find it fascinating and think it's, think it, believe it's true. It is said that Martin Luther actually stole quite a few tunes from the local bar scene there in Germany. Uh, he, he, again, allegedly said, the devil should not be allowed to keep all the best tunes for himself. So what Martin Luther did is he took the tunes they were singing in the bars and he put those tunes to the language of Scripture and started singing them in church. What a great way to take over the culture. We, would take the, we, we take their songs, right? But it's just interesting, again, the contrast of, of what the world fills itself with and what we're, as the people of God, to fill ourselves with. I'll say more about this in our Sunday school that we're going to do, right? Uh, looking at the theology of our songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. But what we sing matters. What we sing matters. Because you notice that the verbs used here are that through our singing, we teach and admonish one another. We teach and admonish one another. So, we're, what, and what are we teaching, right? That's an important question. What is the theology of our songs? What is it teaching? My professor, Dr. Ligon Duncan, said this, what we sing, we will believe. What we believe, we will become. Let me say that again. What we sing, we will believe. And what we believe, we will become. So what we sing matters. What we sing matters. 
And our songs ought to be filled with the language of Scripture. You know, songs are so incredible the way they work with our memory. And so if we are storing up that storehouse with the language of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, who knows, the next time you're going through a trial or difficulty and the Lord will bring a particular stanza of a hymn to mind. I so often, in moments of grief, remember the hymn, Be Still My Soul, or Praise the Lord the Almighty. How often grief, how often in grief, hath not he brought thee relief? The words of these songs come pounding into our hearts in moments when we need them most. So fill up your hearts, fill up the storehouses of your hearts with these psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Another means of grace here is the devotional reading of Scripture. Okay, if you want to expand your thesaurus, if you want to expand your thesaurus, do so by studying and keeping and guarding the Word of God in your heart. We, we could call this developing a, a biblical vocabulary. So that again, when you uh, encounter difficult relationships, trials, uh, uh, you're, you're burdened down by grief when you're battling sin. What comes to mind are the words of Scripture. I think particularly here of Psalm 119, it says this. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Isn't that interesting? That by storing the word of God in our hearts, we might not sin against the Lord. Because at that moment of temptation, when Satan is making that thing look so good, there running into the room will come the words of Scripture, which tell you uh, not to take the poison which Satan is offering. The great Baptist preacher, uh, Steve Lawson, has said this, that when they cut us, we ought to bleed the words of the Bible. I love that. When they cut us, We ought to bleed the words of the Bible. Another way to fill the storehouse is uh, what we're doing now, hearing the preached word. Uh, What comes to mind is Paul in Romans 10, right? Faith comes by hearing. So the very means that God uses to bring about that recreation and regeneration of the heart that we talked about earlier is the preached word. How necessary then is the preached word? But not only that. Because it's not just good for those who haven't been regenerated, but it is good for those who have. Namely, because our faith is still strengthened by that word, supported by that word, supplied by that word. God working, or the Spirit working through His word, works to equip us. Ephesians 4 says that God gave the gift of the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Notably, all those are speaking in proclamatory roles. He gave them to equip the saints that we may attain to the fullness of Christ. Again, you get that language of being filled up until we attain to the fullness of Christ. Another means of grace here, fellowship. 1 Corinthians 14, 26 says this, that all things in worship ought to be done for the the building up of the church. That word, right, is is edification. So that, that... through our fellowship with one another, what we're to do is, in essence, we're to help each other fill those storehouses. And, and so I just have a, a question for you. We, we could spend more time on this, but we don't have the time. But let me just ask you, how are you helping to fill the storehouse of another believer? You know, perhaps somebody is walking through a spiritual valley and what they need is a brother and sister to come along and to provide them out of the storehouse of their heart that which would serve to encourage the other person. It's quite interesting today. I was having a conversation 
with a, a guy from the Anchorage. Uh, his name is Bobby. And Tuesday night, he told me that he was feeling a deep void. He says, God has blessed me with a great career after the Anchorage program. My, my relationship with my family is being restored in incredible ways. He said, I'm experiencing all these blessings of God, and yet I feel a void. And today I spoke with him on the phone, and he couldn't stop telling me about how full and how filled he was. And I said, well, what was the difference? And he said, well, today I went to church, and I heard the word, and it was uniquely applied to my life. And he said, that in the evening I was at a, uh, and then Saturday night I was at an AA meeting, and there were three or four guys there who I had known from the past, and and they were really struggling. And he said, I just sat down with him for an hour, hour and a half. And, and I, I talked with them and I shared with them some of my testimony. What, what, what do we see there? We see church, we see word, we see fellowship. And, and, and you notice that by Bobby actually pouring out for those guys who needed it, he was actually filled up. And that's the great paradox of the Christian life, right? That as we pour out, we give all that we are into the service and ministry of Christ to others. That's actually the means that God uses to pour back into us. Another one, the Lord's Supper. Just as a physical meal fills us up and nourishes us, giving us strength to press on, so does this meal, as John says every week, nourish us spiritually to help us press on to the upward call of Christ Jesus. And so as we come to the supper tonight, know that this is a means that God has ordained to fill that storehouse of your heart. So take the meal And know that through that meal, through these elements, what God is doing there is he's filling that storehouse of your heart so that throughout the week you can face the challenges that that will be sure to come. This is Christ. We're spiritually supping with Christ and so being nourished by him. Finally, we're also strengthened and we also fill up our storehouses by means of prayer. And in conclusion, I just want to read. Would you you turn here with me to Ephesians chapter 3? Uh, starting at verse 14, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. Paul offers this prayer here, and notice it's, again, a means by which he desires us to be filled with all the fullness of God. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit. Notice in your inner being, in the core, in the heart. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love like a tree planted by streams of living water may then have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled, filled to the brim with all the fullness of God. That is my prayer for us, that we would be filled in that way, that the storehouses of our hearts would be so filled that what comes out of us would be godliness, so much so that the world would have nothing else to say other than those people have been with Jesus. Those people have been with Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this great word that you've given unto us, Lord. We pray that you would make it effective. Help us not to be, Lord, hearers only, as Mike prayed this morning, but also doers of your word. May we, Lord, bear fruit 
in accordance with what, we heard, what we've heard this evening. May your word through your spirit go to work in us in such a way that, Lord, we may produce works of godliness and so be identified as your people as we call those who are not yet your people to come and be a part of the fold of God through Jesus Christ. And it's in his name and for his glory that we pray in conclusion this evening. Amen.